and we're live. Welcome to the Markout Movie Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Brandon Spivey with Aaron. You go Aaron ahead and Whitlow. say it. Aaron Whitlow. And we have a special guest today, former professional wrestler, indie, and promoter. I don't want to forget the promoter part. Former promoter, Joseph Monk. Welcome. Nice to meet you guys. Good to be here. So, uh, I guess I should start it off, Aaron, or do you want to start? I'm running things. I'll start. Yeah, I go, I go ahead. Yeah, you go ahead and start, brother. <laughs> all right, all right. So, I was wanting to ask you, Joseph, we've talked about it a little bit, but um, when you were little, your little kid, get into, you know, fandom of wrestling, and I'm going to get excited. I'm going to get animated, and I'm, I apologize ahead of time. But what company did you enjoy watching as a kid? Uh, truthfully, when I started out, you know, uh, one of the first things I've ever seen was uh, it was I came a little late in the game as far as wrestling. I was in a small town. Most of the time it was like basketball and things like that. I moved out here and uh, wrestling was that was the thing, you know, it was 1998 and people were nuts about wrestling over here. And so I thought, well, I'll get on board. So I tuned into Monday Night Raw one night, and I seen The Rock. And he's out there with his belt, and he's got his, you know, $100,000 shirt on and all that stuff, and he's talking about being the corporate champion. And uh, with the flip of a switch, I'm like, man, this guy's a really bad dude. <laughs> and he turns on McMahon, and he says, he says, I'm no longer the corporate champion. I'm going to be the people's champion, lays rock bottom, a little bit of this action, you know throws that elbow and I don't think I uh, stopped watching ever since I was hooked. I love the, I love the whole spectacle of it all. You know, it was amazing. The crowd was explosive and, you know, but WWF, that was my mainstay. I flipped back and forth here and there. Uh, WCW, I followed it more. I did, I did more of my homework as I got a little older on WCW, but, uh, WWF and ECW, and of course any indie show I could go catch at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, what? So when it, when you mentioned WCW, who was some of your biggest influences like in that promotion? You said you did your homework. Did you uh, kind of model your your gimmick after certain uh, workers that you that you saw on there? Well, you know there was a few workers that. You know, I was really intrigued with when I first started wrestling. Uh, as far as WCW, you know, um, Sting, of course, was was real hot, but it took me a long time to really appreciate uh, uh, that I was far into the business before I really could see the gimmick behind it. You know, as a fanboy, it's extremely hard to, to draw that line of, uh, you know, kayfabe and gimmicks versus real athleticism and talent and when you really get in there and kind of kind of feel it here and there and and take the bumps and take the hits you kind of look at wrestling in a whole different light and in the beginning i was all about flash and show you know Shawn michaels of course was a huge influence on me uh can't go wrong there you can't um, yeah <laughs> i mean I, I i he was probably my biggest influence starting out uh, but as I really started getting into it, um, I got more into technical 
style wrestling. As a big guy, I I found that I could move a lot quicker and a lot more agile than some of the other big guys I worked with. And I like the technical style. Kurt Angle really caught my eye. Uh, William Regal and uh, Chris Benoit, people like that. Uh, Chris Jericho, of course. So, you know, really, and as far as like the gimmick, I'd have to go Jericho all the way. I was all about the rock star lifestyle and rock star gimmick. Still am, so, you know. <laughs> Good gimmick. And, you know, uh, and I'm going to give it over to Brandon here in a moment, but yeah, that's a good gimmick. I enjoy. You mentioned uh, you mentioned my favorite uh, brand at that point or uh, promotion at the time was ECW. Uh, I, love ECW. I, I, I found ECW late one night. And it felt like something I shouldn't be watching. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely. Came and uh, and I was like, oh man, they she just they just put uh, Francine through a uh, uh, you know through a table or you know uh, it just was so crazy. Uh, Pitbull number two, Gary Pittman with the uh, halo and them shaking him. I was Holy like, what am I watching? And yeah. uh, and I just was like, and I couldn't, it's hard for me to go back to like say WWF or WCW even because I, I felt like they were more tame when it came to like ECW for me was like the outlaw professional wrestling. What were your thoughts on, on that brand, that uh, promotion? Oh, man, and it's funny you mention that. When, whenever me and my buddy, my partner, uh, William Hightower, I hope he's watching, you know, he's a great guy. He was my road dog. We started everything together, and we ended everything together. Uh, when we started our promotion, it was called Real Extreme Wrestling, and that was the whole gimmick. We wanted extreme-style wrestling. We loved ECW. We fell in love with it. Uh, the Not just – the gimmicks, but the storytelling was so captivating. It felt so real. You know, I love WWF storytelling, but, you know, even going back and watching a lot of that stuff now, not everything was gold in the Attitude Era, despite what everybody says. And then I love it. Don't get me wrong, but it there was a lot of, lot of stuff you had to wade through to get to those beautiful golden moments. ECW was at the time at its complete height. It was like this tapestry of beautiful storytelling, violent wrestling. I mean, complete, like you said, outlaw shows. And that that's what we were. We were a bunch of freaking outlaws trying to put a wrestling show on. And uh, we love the extreme style. That's exactly what we were into at the time. ECW was definitely our go-to promotion as far as inspiration when we started our own deal. Then a lot of Japanese wrestling, you know, them them boys go hard. <laughs> Man, yeah, Japanese is a totally different game too. Uh, go ahead, Brent. Oh yeah, I was just gonna bring it back to like to the beginning for you uh, when you said you were gonna do this for a living. Uh, what was that experience like? First, saying I'm gonna do this, but the the training. What was that like for you? Well, you know, a lot of times in school, uh, we would have these, me and my buddy would talk about, well, we're going to wrestle, we're going to wrestle. And, of course, everybody, nah, that's never going to happen. And, you know, you'd get a lot of uh, BS, so to speak, as far as that's concerned. Well, something in me and in my buddy, it just, that just drove us more. You know, we would wrestle in the hallways. We constantly get in trouble for wrestling in the hallways, throw each other into lockers or gimmick a punch or something. And next thing you know, we're off to the principal's office because, you know, 
that's just what we like to do. Well, when I think it was like 2002, I'm working at a jeans factory and my buddy is opening a subway, helping open a subway, managing the whole deal. And this fair comes to town in Russellville and uh, they're going to hold this wrestling show. It's bad to the bone wrestling. They're no longer uh, going right now, but uh, I'll, I'll let you do the research on why that is. It's not a great story, but, uh, <laughs> but they come to town and I get a call from my wife, not at the time, my girlfriend at the time, but she calls me up and she says, Hey, they're having wrestling at the fair. I just got off work. My buddy's working nights. And I'm like, man, I said, I got to go check this, this wrestling out. And I call him up. I said, dude, you got a fake sick call in. I don't care what you got to do. We got to get to the show. So we go to wrestle Russellville and uh, we're there maybe two or three hours before the show. And we track down the promoter. Well, he's just about everything you'd imagine a promoter promoter would be. Uh, he's, he's definitely, slick in the business i don't want to say anything too harsh but you know he he knew what he was doing when he saw a couple of rubes walking up and we're like man we really want to get into the business is there any way you can do it and you know let us let we we thought going in there we were going to get put in a show that night you know naivety <laughs> yeah. well he says i'll tell you what he says you pay me a hundred bucks each and i'll let you bump around after the show we were sold dude hundred bucks done. We get in there after the show, we watch the show. It's real gritty, man. Uh, it was real kind of a mud show kind of deal, but it was real fun. I like the guys, the, the guys in the, in the performance center, they were all good. So, you know, real, real great bunch of wrestlers, but just the atmosphere was real gritty, but I kind of liked it, you know, we get in this ring and it's an old hard wooden ring and it has this bump padding on it that's like uh, carpet padding, that green and yellow stuff that's under the carpet. She knows she told me to do It's real rough. Well, we start bumping around and uh, I tell you what, you go all elbows and all, you know, knees and you get scared and stuff like that and it beats you up. This ring was as hard as, as bumping on a gym floor. It was ridiculous. Well, we bumped around and we trained quite a bit. And of course we had a lot of guys coming in there like, we'll never see you guys again. We'll never see you again. Yeah. And uh, I was like, okay, you, you know, we'll show you. They, they were going to be in Central City the next week and we planned on going up. Well, so they took about two or three hours and pretty much just beat the crap out of us and had a good time and we loved it. And we got out of there next day, bruised and broken, and called my buddy up. I said, what do you think, man? He said, man, it was one of the best things I ever experienced. I said, me too. Let's go to Central City next week. And by then, it was gone, man. Hey, that's pretty awesome. Uh, sorry I had to get up. I had a neighbor come to the door. I never know what's going to happen on the Mark Out Movie podcast. Um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but essentially, so you pretty much came in in the business as a mark essentially and and they, oh, uh, and and they uh kind of uh ribbed you a bit <laughs> just you know and just uh you know but you learned through that though you learned through that who was who do you consider to be your official trainer like 
or did you just learn from the vets in the back and just well, going out see, there day in day out? With 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 it being so, uh, I mean, I hate to use the word outlaw so much, but it was this is basically what it was. With it being like that, you get trained by some of the veterans in the background. There there are a couple of guys that kind of mainstay, but it's it's whoever can teach you a little bit more and take you a little further. First time we trained was with a group of guys that I, I've never seen them after that. You know, they beat us up a little bit, razzed us, sent us on our way. After that, I've never seen them again. So we get in Central City and the whole, the ring has changed. They had uh, purchased a, uh, a steel ring with official bump padding, vinyl, canvas, the whole nine. It was like WWE professional type ring uh and that was a whole different ball game it was like bumping on a freaking cloud after feeling that hard ring in russellville but anyway <laughs> sorry i digress but you'd have guys like uh vic the bruiser who is still wrestling this day vic, vic, very i know vic i know vic yeah he's a great guy uh very very salty veteran and he knows what he's doing he would he would basically walk us through our first few matches we wanted to do like crazy spots and things like that just like you would as a fan you know you think you just go out there and blow the house down but he kind of settled us down he said look he said this is how you got to do things he laid it out for us he walked us through the program what hits what don't hit what sells what don't sell and honestly he was probably one of the bigger influences on me uh Simon Says was another good wrestler. I don't know if he wrestles now, but he was uh, another fantastic trainer. The promoter's son, J.C. Bailey, which uh, he went on to do like some pretty crazy uh, CZW kind of stuff and death matches and stuff. He was one of our trainers too at the time uh, before his untimely passing. Um, but those were, those were some of the big ones. Manslaughter. Uh, he was a he was a true to life giant. This man was seven foot tall. He was huge, and he had hands like a frying pan. And he uh, he loved nothing more than to get us in there and put us through chop class and things like that. But he was a really good, knowledgeable mind. Uh, and I'm 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 afraid I'm leaving a few guys out, but there were so many in and out. But those were the main guys that really stuck with us the whole time. Yeah, there's so many of them. I I could tell you uh, some victim bruiser stories too. I um I got trained by my friend. He's been my friend since high school. Uh, Randall Shane. Uh, uh, at one point, I think he's going by the Southern Superstar, but I don't know what he's going by now. But uh, but yeah, um, like he trained me a bit. But then, like at one point, I was working in promotion here with uh, JW Wildfire. And, oh yeah, um, I know JW. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and uh, and Vic. And so I was working where I was. Um, uh, so I was working where I was Vic's manager. Um, and Vic uh, was was working Rob G Rock, uh, guy wrestler. So, and uh, and Rob. So Vic fed Rob to the ropes to for me to to choke him when he when he got the ref ref's attention, so he can get some more heat. Choke the ref. Uh, choke, choke, rob a bit, and I was a rook, and so I totally missed the, I missed the feed, and, 
<laughs> and and I, I was just too busy, uh, you know, razzing the the uh, audience, like you know, like trying to get them, you know, riled up or whatever. And Vic that after the match, one. Vic Vic ripped me and said, "Look, whenever somebody you gotta pay attention to your guy in the ring." And he says, "If your guy is is down, then you need to be like." Uh, just like panicking and uh, you know, just frustrated. And it's, it, but if your guy's winning, that's when you shine. That's when you're like a peacock. You walk around there. You just but pay attention to the action because you never know when I'm gonna feed you. You know, and and I learned that lesson. The, the it wasn't the hard way. It was good. It was good <laughs> veteran advice that a green guy like me didn't know. And so absolutely. Yeah, I like it. He's a very knowledgeable guy. I, I, he taught us a lot about respect. We're in, uh, we're doing the show in Elkton, and it's the first time that we that any wrestling show has been in Elkton in like ten years, and the last one that actually was here in Elkton. Well, we're at the high school gym, and there's this young kid that's kind of, uh, he was kind of like a ring crew lackey. He'd do security or set up the ring or do whatever, whatever needed to be done. An errand boy. And uh, he was walking around with his pants hanging down to his knees, you know, and Vic didn't like that too much. He says, hey, he says, you know, we're in a new town. You need to show some respect, pull your pants up, look respectable. He said, you're representing not only this company, he said, you're representing the boys. And, you know, respect was like number one on the list when it comes to the locker room, respect above all. And, uh, you know, some people had to learn the hard way and some people took it easy. Uh, well, next thing you know, about 20 minutes later, this kid's walking around. Vic's walking us through our match for that night. And he's, he's saying, all right, you know, this is the kind of stuff you need to do here and things like that. This is only like our third match ever. And uh, this kid walks by with his pants undone and Vic takes him by the collar of the shirt and gives him one good crack in the jaw. And <laughs> pulls his pants up and sends him on his way and he said it's about respect and I'm like hey you know I, I learned a valuable lesson in that moment and I didn't even have to feel it <laughs> man yeah I seen I seen Vic and I'm sorry Ren I let you back All right, but I, I seen I seen Vic once to give his kid uh he's a he's green he uh he's the wrestling here in Bowling Green and uh the the kid missed the spot or or he uh or he was stiff and a stiff, stiff Vic a bit, a bit. He gave a guy, he gave a kid a receipt. You know, it's just, and, and I don't know if the, I don't know if he ever stayed in the business, but it was just like I was like, oh, but it, but it was about respect. Like you, you're taught uh, to go when you come in. You taught to shake every guy's hand. Uh, you know, you know the shake. You taught to shake every guy's hand. You taught to, you know, before you leave, you talk to every guy because you don't want to slight no one. Uh, you uh, want to respect everybody, you know, and the love that, like, when being in the back of a locker room, being in back with, with people, like, I sat and talked to Rob G, uh, Gypsy Joe, you know, these cats like that, and um, and uh, just, you learn so much just by being around uh, Corey Williams, you know. Absolutely. You know, and, and as far as, I, I got a funny story about, you know, Stiff Arm and Vic myself, I went the opposite way. I'm in the middle of a battle royal in Bardstown. And uh, my spot was to go take him in the corner and do a couple of forearms to the chest. Well, I get in there and 
I was, it was drilled in my mind that you don't stiff a veteran. So I went the other way. And of course I made it look really bad. So then he turns around and I start forearming in the back again, not to his liking. So he takes me by the chest, by, by my shirt, throws me in the corner and lights me up with double hand chops up and down my chest, my back, my stomach. I mean, I was beat red all over. And of course he explained to me later on, it was all about the, you know, you guys said when you're doing that stuff, he says, you know, in professional wrestling, you have so much room between a crowd and your ring, but in Indies, they're right there. I said, they can reach out and touch you. They're going to see if you're feigning in a shot. They're going to see if you're laying it in. They're going to see if you're bull, bull crap. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that was, again, you know, uh, a valuable lesson taught by Victor Bruiser. I, I mean, you know, he's he's a heck of a guy in the, in the indie business and a, a definitely a uh, tribute to everything in that business, you know, especially around here. Amen, brother. All right. I'm going to ask the question. And we've had – a little bit of talks about this before, but I'm going to ask your personal thoughts, but not just your personal thoughts, people you wrestled with their thoughts on this guy, you know, you know, you probably know where I'm going with it, but uh, Hulk Hogan, what is the Aaron's like, Oh my God, no, he didn't. <laughs> but what is the, the perception of him from with guys from the Indies? Are they, you know, they, they thank the world of him. They hate him. Be well, you know, that, 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 that's a tricky question right there. I mean, you know, Hulk Hogan, my goodness, he just pulled out the freaking big guns. Oh, my gosh. You can't believe well, there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, back in the day, uh, you can't as, – as a wrestler and any wrestler that I have known or do know, there are certain people that you always pay respect to paving the way. Hulk Hogan is definitely one of those. He is one of the greats as far as opening things up. But at the same time, if you really dig deep and, and think about Hulk Hogan being the symbolization of shutting down a lot of territories and things like that, he really wasn't the best thing for the indie business. So a lot of guys look at it in that, in that sense too. Me personally, I have a lot of respect for what he's done and uh, the accolades and the things that he's accomplished. I, I don't necessarily say that I have a lot of respect for how he's gotten there because a lot of it was backhanded politics and, and backstage things that uh, should almost never be done. But, you know, money's, money's a funny thing. It'll make people do crazy things and fame will make you do even crazier things. And Hulk Hogan, man, he wanted it all. Uh, of course, in lieu of his recent discrepancies, I just cannot stand. I, I, I was raised not to stand for things like that, and I don't stand for things like that. So Hulk Hogan is definitely not one on my radar and hasn't been for a very long time. But he's almost become a parody of himself in his old age. So, really, he's he's tarnished his own legacy by becoming more of a joke than anything. And that's kind of on him. 
I agree. I agree with you. Uh, I agree with Joey. Uh, Hogan is, uh, I don't know, Hogan is the guy that, as kids, we looked up to, you know, because wrestling then was very cartoonish for me. I was, I was born in 1980, so I grew up watching Hogan, watching the steamboats and all these guys, you know, junkyard dogs, seeing all these big guys, not knowing that there was a such thing as the Indies, not knowing that that, that, that there's territory of wrestling. I wasn't aware of that. Um, and I just re- I felt like, oh, you know, you had WWF and then you had like NWA. And I felt like they were two vastly different type of places, you know, both, uh, you know, WWF seemed more uh, satirized, you know, Oh, yeah. very more animated um, but then growing up and then being in the business at some point you know you I, I tend to respect have more respect for guys like like we mentioned Gypsy Joe the Victor Bruisers the um, Chris Michaels the uh, James Carvers you know those cats like that uh, um, Bud Ellis Cowboy Bud Ellis rest so guys oh, yeah. like it uh, that really uh, paved the way and did did things in the business. Uh, Donnie Don Fargo, uh, oh, yeah. he uh, Don Fargo once caught me in the back with a kendo stick, and I was not ready. Um, <laughs> that ain't no joke, brother. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, but those guys to me is who like I look up to in the business mainly more than I do enjoy the professional guys, the guys that been on WF or WWE and WCW, ECW, but. The guys that that are in the Indies, man, like uh, Derek Neal, that's still working, still doing their thing, man. You know, just gotta respect them, respect them. You know. Oh, absolutely. You know, and there's there's tons of guys, especially in uh, in these areas here, that paved the way for all kinds of indie wrestling, even today, like Jerry the King Lawler, and uh, you know, uh, Bill Dundee. Tracy Smothers was a guy I wrestled up and down with for a long time. And he was, uh, he was a very, he was insane, but he was very knowledgeable guy to hang around. You gain a lot. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, freaking, uh, Ricky Morton, all them guys. There's, there's so many, whenever you do jump from promotion to promotion, you always have a couple of guys that have been there and done it. And some of them aren't famous. Some of them aren't like the best known guys in the world, but you know what? They've been around, they've paid their dues and you got a lot to learn from. There was a guy, uh, and, and to this day, I still don't know his real name because we always just called him the judge. And, uh, he was, he was the manager. He managed Vic the Bruiser for quite a while. I remember. And, uh, he was just called the judge and he played the most dastardly nastiest heel that you could ever imagine uh out there in front of the crowd but he was honestly the nicest most respectful caring guy i think i've ever seen backstage you know so you got a lot to learn from all different aspects and and if you can absorb any knowledge from anything i would even talk to referees and stuff you know any knowledge we could gain we were all over it you know, and that's just kind of how it is. The more, the more you absorb, the more you experience, uh, the more you can grow, you know? I agree. Uh, the, uh, people like, uh, Terry England, you know, those guys that, uh, you know, really set that, set that standard. Um, I do recall, um, 
then I was going to ask you this. So you mentioned like work the judge, which he was a great character. I do remember him. Um, being a very nice guy, you know, even though to the to the fans, he was straight a, a hill. He was the hilliest hill of them all. Um, uh, I remember uh, being able to meet, uh, being able to meet Abyss. Uh, he, he came and worked down here, uh, uh, you know, a few times. Well, once I uh, met him in Carlito as well, but I met Abyss and um you think that he's going to be the meanest dude, but he is such a sweet guy. Uh, Very nice fella. And, and, and I, uh, that was leading to my question to you. Um, two parts, really. One is uh, who of the biggest guys that you met, uh, you don't, you can shoot if you want, that's fine. <laughs> but uh, who's the biggest guys that you met has been some of the nicest guys, whether they're face, uh, baby or uh, heels. And also, who are some of the who are some of the people that you met that kind of like felt like they were um, like you know the stuff and not really not really humble? If you don't, you can shoot if you want. It's up to you. Oh, it, it's all good. <laughs> well, you know, I'm all about showing respect, and I do I do have a few things about a few guys that I I didn't have great interactions with. But, you know, as far as big guys that we met, me and my buddy, we had a couple of tryouts with TNA uh, wrestling when they were in Nashville at the fairgrounds. So we got to meet all those guys back there. And uh, there were a few of them that were more warming than others. Uh, Abyss, very nice fella. Very, very fun kind of guy to be around. AJ Styles, he was kind of one of them guys who liked to stay to himself. He wasn't real friendly with anybody outside. Uh, Christopher Daniels, very nice fella. Uh, you know, a lot of guys, they, they try to, to help you as much as they can, but there's some guys that don't give a crap either way. So, you know, uh, those were some of the guys that were really nice. Uh, we met Mick Foley one time, uh, and this wasn't actually when we were at a wrestling show. We were actually at a college thing in Bowling Green. I was there. I was actually right there next to him. I'll go ahead. Go ahead. That was like one of the best experiences for me as a fan and as a wrestler because he was like super nice, super fun stories to tell. And uh, I don't know, it was like meeting, like you said earlier, cartoon. It was like meeting a cartoon character come to life. And that was that was a really touching experience for me uh, and my buddy. My buddy has been like a fan of his for, I mean, ever. That's who inspired him to get into the business. And, uh, you know, people like that's been great. Um, we've done a few shows, uh, big name like Lex Luger, and I might not be too popular on this one. Everybody loves Lex Luger. But we're talking <laughs> about, uh, you know, he, he's backstage begging for oxys and doing the Miss Elizabeth wave thing and just, I don't know, he just – he rubbed me all wrong. Didn't work worth a, worth a dang. And uh, it just he, he just wasn't my cup of tea. Buff Bagwell, uh, he's pretty much a spoiled whiner. Pretty much his character. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. He's, li he's, he's literally living the gimmick right now. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, he, all he wanted to do was sit, sit around, drink beer, 
he did his spot, and that was about it. Went backstage, drank beer, wouldn't even sign any gimmicks, do nothing like that. It was – I was young and, and still training at the time, and uh, it see, me seeing that, I was just – I don't know. I just didn't set right with me as a fan or as a aspiring wrestler. Uh, Glenn Gilberti, uh, Disco Inferno, he was a pretty nice guy, uh, real, real fun and easy to talk to. Uh, there was, um, Rick Steiner was real kind of standoffish guy, but you know, he wasn't rude. He came there, he did his job, he got paid well and he went home. You know, I respect that too. Yeah. You know, some guys, that's what they're here to do. They're, they're draw and I'm okay with that too. Yeah, you know, but. Those are some of the bigger names I've interacted with that I that I uh, you know won't get in too much trouble talking about. But <laughs> good, good names. I actually that that um, so I was in a class at Western at WKU. It was the only time they had a pro wrestling media class, and I was in that class, and uh, we got to uh, uh, we got to actually have Mick Foley come in. We ate lunch with Mick and. Um, Oh, that's amazing. And just uh, uh, talk to him about different things. He um, then then he had that lecture, but as the uh, as the, I didn't. All right, so he had beef right now at that point with Ric Flair, and so I I did a story. I did a um, I wrote like a little paper on uh, the Von Erichs, the curse of the Von Erichs is what I called it at that point, and uh, and I shared it with him. But I took a lot of my uh, stuff from Ric Flair's book. I cited him as a resource. He said, "Yeah." He said, "She get a different resource other than Rick." But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he. Uh, but he was really, he was really sweet. Me and my buddy, we got to sit uh, next to him while he sold his gimmicks and signed autographs, and uh, we got to collect the money for him uh, for his gimmicks. And then at the end of the night, uh, he signed my book and then asked us, "Hey, do you want?" part of this pot, you know, like of the of the money. And we said, no, we just have, we'd rather take a shirt. I still have that shirt today. If I had the money, it would have been gone. I still have that shirt today and I haven't got rid of it. It was, That's I don't awesome. know how many years ago that was, but yeah, it was a good experience just to be there. And uh, we also got to see, um, we went to OVW and I got to see uh, Stevie Richards. Um, he was eating a hot dog, but hey, it was pretty cool for me. Being an ECW guy, <laughs> and uh, and I got to see oh, a young John her. Cena and a young Brock Lesnar. That was pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. Last time, last time I was at OVW, uh, it was CM Punk's very last night. He was on the way to the big time. Um, Matt, I can't Capitelli, I believe his name was. Mm -hmm. It was one. Of his, it was his last night as well because of his his brain injury. Uh, we got to talk to the boogeyman. That was an experience. How was and, that? And uh, <laughs> Al, <Snow> <laughs> Al Snow was running the show at the time. And, of course, we were trying to talk him into a tryout. But uh, there's a little there, – there's a lot more loops you got to go through to get into OVW than just showing up and uh, saying, hey, let us wrestle. So, uh, you know, that didn't work out too well, but uh, it was pretty fun meeting uh, Al Snow. He was real nice and real respectful. He, he was not uh, rude about anything. And uh, the boogeyman was pretty cool dude to talk to. 
he's very animated, even just in normal conversation. And uh, so that was pretty cool. So OVW holds a holds a fond memory in my heart too. I I get that. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, we down here we had a show and we met. Like uh, I had a um, the opportunity. I was a big fan of Carlito um, in the WWE, uh, and like actually he came to a he did a house show down here, and uh, me and he was wrestling Shelton Benjamin. And me and my my buddies was in the front row, and. Uh, and this is when ben, Benjamin had a gimmick where he uh, was a mama's boy. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so I started. Uh, uh, they started saying "mama's boy, mama's boy, mama's boy." They started that like little. And I and I said, I started a chant. They said "house is better," you know, it, it just uh, ribbing him on that. And then uh, he he got he got out the ring, and they came over to us and stared us down. And then Carlito got on the mic. And was like, hey, I got two things to say. House is better. <laughs> you are a mama's boy. And uh, so it was like, really, man, it was so cool. But yeah, I got to actually, uh, you know, uh, working with um, my buddy and his promotion down here. I was able to get to see uh, Carlito, like, like behind the curtains. He's one of those guys, like you mentioned, that is very, he's a quiet guy. Doesn't really, he's just there to get his, you know, to get his, his his money and he wasn't not in a bad way he was really friendly and stuff and and respectful but he just was very quiet you know and you i get that you know sometimes that's what it's all about you know when when you can accomplish making yourself into a big name it's all about making them bucks you know especially if you can relax and do it why not i can't hate on a man for getting paid <laughs> there's ways to do it and ways not to but you know I always thought Carlito was a fantastic uh, athlete, uh, very entertaining in the ring. And Shelton Benjamin, my goodness, what a what a fantastic wrestler he is. Misused by WWE back in the day, man. Oh um, man, I, him and Team Angle, I could watch that gimmick all all the time. Him, Haas, and Angle, my goodness, they were great I'm, together. I'm sorry, Brandon. Real quick. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, real quick, you mentioned that you was a technical wrestling fan. Uh, I was a technical wrestling fan as well, like Angle, those guys like that. Uh, what's showing? Who did it better? Bret Hart with the Sharpshooter, or Sting with Scorpion Death Deathlock? Well, see, you know that that that's a tricky question. You know, I, believe it or not, wasn't a fan of either one for a very long time. <laughs> I went back and did did a lot of uh, homework on both of them in somewhat recent years and have, have developed quite a fandom for both. Uh, I personally like Bret Hart's sharpshooter. I mean, when I think a sharpshooter, that's who I think throwing it on. You know, honestly, I Not like Sting. Well, you know, he had he had his little bit of flair to it, but no, not the rock. <laughs> but the sharpshooter, I definitely have to go with Bret Hart on that one all the way. He had he he definitely had the technique, man. All right, I'm gonna ask my second part to the Hulk Hogan question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you still, you still Hogan? 
no, no. It, it, it was leading to this. Is it about, is about Mr. Nanny? What is we, it? We talked about this. But um, you brought up politics. You personally, have you ever dealt with any of those kind of politics? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll have guys all the time trying to bury you, trying to trying to go behind your back and do some crazy stuff, you know. Uh, I don't personally care for much, much for backstage politics, but there was a time where I was, uh, I guess a little, a little bit more out of control than I should have been as far as, uh, the lifestyle. And I wasn't the most reliable person in the world. And I, I will admit that. Uh, and I'd have people all the time going behind my back and trying to get me in trouble, but you know, I did what I needed to do. And there's times I've gotten in trouble with certain promotions and there's times I've gotten my walking papers too. But you know what? I, I say the same thing every time is I can work anywhere. It don't matter. I don't have to work here. I can work down the road or I can work up the road. It don't matter. So backstage politics, they don't affect me much, my man. I kind of, I kind of show my stuff in the ring and I kind of, my whole thing is I can cut a promo that'll cut you in half. So I don't, uh, I don't deal with those, those kind of things, you know, as far as I'm concerned. And especially the older I got and the wiser I got, I just avoided those kind of people altogether. So Good answer. You've, uh, you've uh, worked in the business as a worker. Uh, also, uh, as far as I'm understanding, you managed, but you also did some booking. Uh, is that correct? Yeah. And matchmaking, essentially. So how was that? How was that aspect of it? How was learning to be the guy? Um, how was that for you to learn? Uh, was it like a learning curve or something that you kind of naturally got into? Personally, I was more interested in promoting aspect of it more than I ever was the wrestling aspect of it. But, uh, and that's starting out. But somebody told me, look, if you're going to walk the walk, you're going to have to learn how to do it. He said, if you can't, if you can't experience what the boys are experiencing, you're not going to know what to do, how to book a show. You're not going to know what buttons to push and what stories to tell. And that made a lot of sense to me. So I decided to become a wrestler first. And my whole aspiration the entire time was to get into promoting. So the whole time I'm sitting here, planning for doing this promoting end of things so as far as a learning curve yeah i mean just with anything really you think you have a handle on it but really it's there's always something new to be thrown at you or something different and everywhere does it kind of differently too the big thing with me was trying to work my way around the athletic commission in kentucky that was hard because we we're extreme style wrestling. We like to do outlaw kind of stuff, and they did not like that. They don't like so blading. No, <laughs> they they don't like that. I mean, at the time, we couldn't go outside of the barricade. We couldn't do nothing. No, no weapon spots. No nothing unless it was a sanction type deal. And uh, so we had a lot of fines and a lot of trouble with that because we just didn't want to listen, and we did what we wanted. So. As far as, you know, booking, though, I, I personally enjoy it. Uh, I love telling a story. I love putting a narrative together. I mean, that's always been my bag. I've always been a storyteller overall, and that's that's been the main thing. 
if you can't tell a story outside of the ring and in between the bell, you don't have any business being there. And when we did do our promotion, that's what we surrounded ourselves with was storytellers. We found storytellers, we turned them into wrestlers. And that's every person on our roster, we trained personally, unless we knew they were trained from somewhere accredited and we brought them in for, usually it was more of a gimmick thing, but we used homegrown boys. And sometimes it backfired on us. Sometimes you come up with a dud, but you know what? You have to push the strengths and hide the weaknesses. And that was what we were all about. So, you know, it worked. It worked for me. Booking, uh, I love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. We uh, we found out, like, essentially, my buddy, uh, Randall Shane, as we uh, – so we used to do a lot of backyard, obviously. You know, we're going to go ahead and put it out there. We all did a little backyard. We all explored getting some posts and some ropes and putting it in the ground and saying, pretend like this is the ring, you know, it, it, or, or, or having your first, uh, like, CD player and you're, you're coming out to your song or whatever. We've all experienced that. We uh, was doing that. We did a, a outside, like, a show, and actually people started showing up for us for our little thing that we was doing. And, it, you know, looking back, it, looked, it probably looked so bad, but, you know, um, well, we was doing that, and then uh, JW Wildfire, we used to go to um, his promotion. That's uh, uh, when he used to be down here in Bowling Green off of 3rd Street uh, at, um, at um, Reed's Restaurant. He used to have wrestling in the back. Uh, back then, TNT, uh, Dale Mann used to run it, but then eventually JW took over uh, mm-hmm. and started promoting from there. But he pulled Joey to the side, uh, Randall. Sorry, he gave his government name. Uh, he put uh, Randall from the side and uh, and, and to the side and told him, "Hey, man, y'all gonna hurt yourself uh, out there, you know, just doing backyard stuff." And like you said, pretty much he, he, sweet guy, but he did take their money, but but taught them how to properly be in the business, you know. And uh, you know, and Randall hadn't looked back. He's, I think he's officially retired. He's he's promoting uh, down in. Uh, Franklin, I think, but uh, with James Carver, but uh, it's just an, uh, an experience. So I was going to ask you that. Uh, when you first got into the, when you first came out, what was your, how did your gimmick look? And what was your theme music? Well, my gimmick at, at the very beginning, my very first match, I'll never forget the chant that was chanting me. I had this all white uh, jogging suit, jumpsuit looking thing. It was, uh, I had my pads and my boots and all my gear and stuff, my tape, but it was this white pants with blue stripe down the side, a white t-shirt that said, are you talking to me? It was so cheesy, so generic. It looked like that guy that you create on No Mercy just to beat up. And, uh, yeah, I come out, and uh, it was in this small town up in Oldham County. This is my first match ever. And uh, I think you, you can see it in that really bad half Boston Crab picture I sent you. It, uh, they chanted toilet paper at me, 
And I was expecting marshmallow or anything, but toilet paper. They chanted toilet paper. I mean, I'll never forget that. And I came out as a heel. And I came out to um, Ozzy Osbourne's Perry Mason. I always thought these songs with these cool takeoffs, you know, real slow build and then bam, bam, bam. I was obsessed with that. And so I was like, I, I, that, that sounded good to me. I obsessed over the song. It was almost Michael Jackson's bad uh, until I brought the CD to our uh, commissioner at the time. And he looked at me kind of funny. So I was like, I guess I'll go with Ozzy Osbourne. I kind of bunked out of Michael Jackson. And uh, I came out there. I was a heel. People hated me. And boy, they cheered their butts off when I got when I got pinned for the first time. So yeah, I was I was toilet paper. It wasn't it wasn't a great gimmick. I really had to grow into the uh, the rock star persona. And that was after years of uh, years and months true. of. Uh, did you drop out? I'm still here. Just oh, good deal. I didn't know that was I was listening to you, and I I didn't even notice he was gone. Oh, I'm still here. I'm still here. I'm I'm hearing you. I, you just can't see me. I accidentally kicked that was the over uh, probably months and months and maybe years of trying out different gimmicks and different personas and things like that until I finally really came back to Jesse Idol and refined it. I was I was everything from garbage gimmicks to I mean it was some of them are really really bad. <laughs> it, but I'll let Brandon take over real quick. I just want to ask you a quick question. Who was your uh who who did you work in your first match? Uh I worked my I worked my buddy William. Uh his name uh was Blade at the time and this was before uh the Blade on uh, AW and broke onto the scene. But uh he he was William Hightower, good friend of mine, he's my road dog. Uh we trained together, and they thought, well, it's a good idea to put them in a match together. So we get out there, and the promoter, he said, uh, he said, look, he said, don't mess this up. He said, if I see any sign of struggling or weakness, I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to cue the music for manslaughter. Now, bear in mind, we're talking about seven, seven foot tall, had to have been 350, 400 pounds easy. He was a giant of a man. And uh, he said, if you hear that chainsaw, manslaughter is going to come out and kill you guys. <laughs> and I took it serious. I mean, I was terrified the whole match. Well, when I shot that half Boston and it looked as bad as it did, our promoter Joe Bailey stood up and it was about to go down. But Billy Black, a guy that was helping us at the time, he intercepted and made sure that we didn't get squashed in our first match. And it actually smoothed on out and worked out pretty well. But William Hightower, AKA Blade, AKA Elijah Heavens, very cool dude. That was my first match. Well, since you brought it up, like failed gimmicks, uh, I was mentally, I'm asking you mentally, for someone that's starting out, that the gimmick fails, um, what does that do to you mentally? Usually, I mean, what would it do to someone that's new mentally? First gimmick or second gimmick just flops. Well, you know, Jesse Idol for me never it, it never flopped, and that's why I don't know why I, I even went away from it. But I was wanting to 
experiment and do crazy things as far as uh you know it kind of depends on where you're at too if you're in an environment there's some places that some some companies that i wrestled for that were very welcoming of crazy gimmicks and the crazier the better uh you you cl- you, you quickly find out those are garbage companies because yeah. it's you know they want people named like stupid asshole and all that stuff and yeah and uh, I was the janitor in that one. That went over real well. Uh, uh, and it's not great for your confidence because you're basically trying to be even more like you're not. And you're trying to be cartoonish and nothing. Nobody wants to take you seriously. And then you go up to a guy in the business and you say, that's been working there for 17 years. And you go, Oh yeah, I was uh, I was Joey Nightmare the other night. I was the guy that had blood coming out of his eyes, and uh, and he's like, okay, well I gotta go over here and talk to this guy who actually looks professional and acts professional, you know. <laughs> so that does take a toll. Yeah. Uh, even at one point, I was wearing silly gimmicks like wigs and stuff like that to try to get over, and it was not getting over. I, I'll never forget the night I came out there as, uh, as six Amelia and that was a failed Mexican gimmick. I won't get into it. Were you, were you on a hood? Uh, I was in a, I was in a partial hood. It was from the nose up and yeah, it was, it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all. When I was a long, long lost cousin of Eddie Guerrero's that, oh, yeah. uh, Definitely like the churros too much, but uh, it, it definitely didn't get over. And we're in the middle of this this shoot. It's for a federation in Clarksville that uh, has long since demolished. I remember that. And we're in the middle of this shoot, and I, I just I had enough of the the gimmicky wrestling, and I tore the mask off. I tore off the gimmicks and. I just started shooting on the mic as Jesse Idol. I said, I said, I'm sick of these gimmicks. Jesse Idol's here, blah, 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 blah. And that's when I really started to come out more as my own gimmick. I, I just, I took what I liked and what I knew and what I was, and I dialed it up to 11. And I became this, you know, insatiable butthead that uh, was way too cocky to be cocky. So it worked and that actually got over, you know. Was that a work uh, when you ripped off your gimmick and everything? Was that oh, a work absolutely. in itself? Okay, yep. so you, okay, cool. That was, was a work pretty- that was a work shoot all the way. Uh, I, that definitely wasn't planned. I was supposed to go out there and do my thing. And, and, you know, I was wrestling a guy named the croc. You can imagine yeah. his finisher was the rock bottom number two. Well, uh, by the end of that match, I mean, I, I stiffed him quite a bit. And, you know, he, he needless to say he didn't want to work with me anymore. But uh, Jesse Idol gimmick was born. I went from fighting the guys that were literally the joke gimmicks on the, on the card from the next couple of weeks. I started fighting the guy that was holding the belt. His name was Rigor Mortis. Uh, and his gimmick was as stiff as it gets, which led to one of my – Honestly, one of my better matches uh, I've ever had, and it was a uh, uh, it was a stiff as it gets match. We tore off all the 
the bump padding and all the turnbuckles and everything like that. And we went out there and tore it up. I got DDT'd the first five seconds of the match, and I was literally a crimson mask. And, and it was the hard way. Uh, I made, I told him, I said, you better bust me open on that first shot the hard way or, or, and, and we genuinely had disdain and hate for each other. Bear that in mind too. So that, that entire time in Clarksville and the Clarksville wrestling was a shoot. Does that make I mean, it better? I, for me, I had a blast. Yeah. Uh, you know, me and my buddy, we would literally show up whenever we wanted to. We would ride into, literally ride almost right up to the ring because it was like, you know, fairgrounds and things like that. We'd hold shows, so we had plenty of room to do things. We'd ride up to the ring. I would interrupt promos. I was, I, 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 there was no chains on me at this point because I was done with the gimmicks. I knew where I wanted to go. And I even told this guy, I said, look, I want to promote. I said, if, you know, we can do this. You know, he's like, yeah, partnership, things like that. Then he started shooting on me behind my back. That's the, your backstage politics for you. And uh, next thing you know, I was like, you know what? Cuffs are off. Gloves are off. I'm done. And me and my buddy, we started shooting on the place. He was miserable. And uh, and I just decided I'm, I'm not going to be miserable. So I started shooting on the champ. Uh, I started just calling them out in promos and any chance I got, I would sit in on commentaries, everything, anything I could do. I would just get my face in the camera and I would dog crap on rigor mortis. And he eventually responded and he went face for the match. He was originally heel and he turned face and, uh, and it got over like gangbusters. I mean, everybody was invested. <laughs> like in yeah, it was a good show. <laughs> I think I do remember Rick and Mortis. Uh, yeah, I remember a guy named Damian Demento as well. Uh, I think he's still working somewhere around here. But uh, not around here, but somewhere else. But, yeah, that's, um, you know, uh, it's, a, it's amazing how you uh, pretty much, it seemed like that promotion in uh, in Tennessee at the fairgrounds, it seemed almost like a ECW type of environment that was like had a rowdy fan base and everything. Did you kind of get that that type of feeling being around uh, like in, at that time in your in your career? To be honest with you, I mean there was there was a lot of loyal fans there that that did get rowdy and things like that. But as far as the Clarksville wrestling. Uh, it's hard for me to put over because it was, it was such a touchy time in my career, but at the same time, that is, it is what relaunched Jesse Idol. It is what the gimmick that I was born to do. It's what kind of lit that fire. So, I mean, in, in an odd way, I still have to give credit where credit's due, but there was a lot of trash and uh, the promoter, he was trash. He was that, I, I, and he was the champion. Any any promoter makes yourself the champion. I'm sorry, it's not worth my, not worth your salt, and promoter. I agree. And oh uh, he called yeah, you out, so, Vince. <laughs> no, no, not just Vince. Not just Shoot Vince, seasons like, open. Yeah, those are local, like local, like it's a big running thing. 
Like, why do you have to be the guy? Like, why, you know, why do you feel like you need to put the strap on you? And or or you know, there's people, there's people. I'm not meaning to shit on no one. I'm going to try to be respectful and not say names. But there's people that uh, that have promoted essentially had had a business, had the had the the you know professional wrestling environment and turn around and pretty much put themselves over and think of themselves as Triple H and they don't look none like Triple H. And uh, Aaron, are you I'm going to just go ahead and say it. Huh? You talking about Jeff Jarrett? No, 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 not Jeff. <laughs> not Jeff. My name Jeff. I'm he talking put about the title on himself. I, yeah, I'm talking about all right, the Midnight uh Midnight Mafia. There, I said it. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's a, you know, as a guy, as a guy, a certain guy that was in there, not not the other one. Uh, the other one was a sweet guy. Well, both of them sweet, sweet guys, but just one of them was just like, didn't know the business. And essentially, he, but he saw himself as like, first as a Shawn Michaels type of gimmick, but he doesn't look nothing like Shawn. Uh, I think he even went by uh, last name Rose at one point. I'm not going to throw too much dirt out there. No, no, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. It's all. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the thing is, man, whenever like someone like that, that pretty much say they own the ring or anything, they got any type of leverage and they want to promote themselves to be that way. They, they they're going to do it in the depth to the detriment of the other guys that they got coming in. Like we wrestled a match where I was a manager for HNIC and they try to put themselves over on HNIC, you know, yeah. uh, Apollo, uh, JB, uh, it was JB Thunder and, uh, and Apollo. I, I, I totally forgot the guy's name all these years later, but just, it's just bad because don't try to make yourself, that guy, you know, a good promoter. I, I imagine you was a good promoter. Know how to go ahead and take a back seat and make the other talent shine because it makes you shine. It makes you look good when you, uh, when you like, you said that you would allow vocal guys to come out and sometimes you have duds, but you at least was not afraid to test the waters and see what you got. And out of some of those duds, you probably produce a really good uh, quality worker that people showed up and paid to see there's some guys that i would work with to this day any day you know that that was brought up like that you know definitely uh you're definitely gonna have your hits and misses man that's for sure <laughs> but i i can't get behind self-promoting as far as if you if you're gonna run a show you gotta run a show you know it's all about giving back to the business and telling a narrative i'm again i'm all about storytelling and i never seen myself as the main star and whenever i decided to step behind the curtain but in in the same respect if not striving to be on top what are you even doing there so you know it's it's all about knowing your place man and uh, some people don't. Some people don't have enough respect for the business to give back. Uh, some people 
don't think about it that way. They just think it's going to be me and I'm going to, this is what I want and I don't care whose neck I got to step on to get it. And maybe I was like that at some point in my life. I don't, I don't know. I, I never, I don't feel like I was. Maybe somebody else would tell the story differently. But as far as whenever the promoting started, you know, I was never champion. I was never in a spotlight. Did I wrestle? Of course. But did I get my butt kicked most of the time? You better believe it because people like to see that, you know. So that's just how it is. Well, I got a question for you, Joseph. <laughs> is it about Hulk Hogan, Brandon? It's not about Hulk Hogan, all right? I asked my Hogan question. I got it out of the way. I had to bring up Hogan, all right? Because one of the very first times we talked, he brought up Hogan. <laughs> and I defended Hogan. And I, I still will, but you are right about backstage politics. <laughs> but I still respect the guy. But it's not about Hogan, Aaron. It's about Jesse Idol. <laughs> what would it take to bring this character back? any shape or form for anyone listening out there that knows you would like to bring you back what would it take honestly you know I, i've given a lot of thought to that and i mean you know once once it's in you it's in you and you're always gonna gonna crave and strive to be in it in some form or fashion uh you know i think Today, a lot of a lot of things, you know, with wrestling, it's going it's going the cinematic route and things like that. I would love to create some type of web-based show with cin all cinematic. The wrestling is real, but focus more on maybe uh, you know the grit and the stuff, the backstage and the traveling. But you know, make it like an SOA style or whatever, whatever kind of show gimmicks you're into. But as far as getting back in the ring or, or being involved in wrestling, uh, definitely if I can make a cinematic thing happen, that's, that's the route I would choose to go because I don't see me being able to, to tour the Indies anymore. The lifestyle doesn't agree with my lifestyle. Now I'm a family man, uh, proud family man, uh, three kids, beautiful wife, and uh, I gave up the traveling and the stuff that goes with it. I'll just leave it at that. It ain't always, it ain't always great, and it's not hard to get into. Uh, hmm. So as far as the locker room life, I, I don't see myself crawling back into that. But if I, could, if I could get back to the business by telling stories in a cinematic way, I would love that. Get a great group of guys a nice crew together and put on some type of episodic situation where we're telling a story, driving a narrative and ultimately getting to a point. I think, I think there's stories to be told and I want to be a part of that. And uh, I think I would definitely be on board with something like that. You know, uh, with you saying that, that reminds me of uh, a bit of what, what got me into like, you remember, uh, before AEW hit, uh, I was a big fan of being the elite, uh, watching them on uh, watching them on YouTube, and I just Love felt that. like it was a better way of promoting, because they promoted their shows better than WWE was promoting their stuff. Uh, they oh, promote, I... uh, you know, uh, they promote, uh, 
matches and stuff that and and, and they have a great build up to it that, that you know and uh and really you was like oh man and that's how i got really invested in the uh scu or anyone else you know like that because that they did a really great job with the way they did it because like you said they did essentially cinematic uh they did cinematic uh, shows episodic shows and i think that uh it's really cool and i think it'd be even better to see on the like you said on the indie level with a couple of guys like shooting uh, stylized wrestling not only just vignettes but matches so i if i'm what i'm saying is i'm down if you need help cuz you know i'm i'm <laughs> I do that. I, I, I shoot so. You know, and that's that's the whole thing. You know, I think I think the cinematic way is definitely. I think that's where it's headed anyway. You know, people want to see what's going on backstage more than they want to see what's going on in the ring. But they also want the action of the wrestling. So why can't you bring it both? You know, and I don't want to do like cheesy WWF style cinematic stuff. Although the Boneyard match was okay. Mm -hmm. Not, not all, not, not exactly my cup of tea, but, uh, you know, um, Lucha, Lucha Underground did it pretty well. They, for a while, it was pretty entertaining. Um, and being the elite, I love it. I still watch it to this day. Uh, I would not be as big a fan of the dark order if it weren't for being the elite because they know how to push them. I would like mine to be geared more toward a, more of a dramatic type setting, uh, you know, I always had this this dream of setting setting a show back in the the territory days, like maybe back in the '60s and '70s, right before they start getting gobbled up. And I mean, it was serious back then. It was gritty and it was real. You didn't break kayfabe. You didn't go against your guys. You didn't jump territories, or it had deadly consequences. I mean, for God's sakes, there was guys getting stabbed in the showers over making deals and stuff. Ooh, you know, God rest you. God rest you, uh, Bruiser. <laughs> exactly. My goodness. So, I think there's I think there's stories to be told from that era. And I think uh, you know, a group of outlaw wrestlers telling those stories and driving a narrative. Uh I think that would be something to watch, at least in my opinion, and I think other people would enjoy it too. That, and, that it would make for really good TV, uh really good entertainment because like before so we had back in the day we had uh and I, I don't know how much time we got a little brand I'm sorry but uh, we had uh we had body slam there's a movie back in the 80s um, that uh that had Roddy Piper in it and uh the Tonga kid and a couple of other people you see Freddie Blassie had a cameo Flair had a cameo different guys had a cameo in that movie but it still held to like kayfabe to the point of like oh, I'm really injured, or I'm really this, or I'm really this, and this is going on, you know. Whereas you didn't you didn't really see that type of um, realism really until, like, say, the movie The Wrestler. That was yeah, the first one that, that, and I owned that because I just felt like it just, it is the, anyone that's ever been in the business, ever took a bump in the ring, um, ever been, uh, ever, <laughs> ever took a chop, and tried your best not to flinch when it happens. Everyone that hurt hurt themselves, uh, whether it's a kendo shot to the back or, you know, you you land on uh, uh, thumbtacks or anything or hurt yourself, 
for the fans, that movie just really displays what it's like to be in the business. But also, just the just the vibe inside the locker room. You know, uh, as you said earlier, it's something that gets in your blood, and you just can't really let go of that. And but I, I understand what you're saying with doing it in a different aspect. You're moving away from saying, "Hey, let's do it," say at the fairground. Instead, let's do it more cinematically. And I, I think your vision really works in it. You're right. It does speak to what the future of wrestling is. Thank you. Oh, was that all, Aaron? Yeah, yeah, Brandon. I'm sorry. I, I, I look at you and point it. For me, I could, no, no. It's just, no, it's just this, that. It's just that uh, I think that that's a good idea because uh, those territory, those, those early wrestling days, um, where, like you said, people might you might get hurt. I I remember uh, hearing stories from my grandmother. She was a big fan of wrestling. She remember going to see Tojo Yamamoto. Oh, uh, wrestling. Yeah, uh, going to see him. Going to see uh, the uh, the uh, Fargo brothers and like you know they used to be wrestling out at Beach Band here in town. Uh, she remembers seeing Lanny Pop, uh, you know, Angela, Angela Papa, Roger Man's dad, and, uh, you know, seeing Randy when he was younger and stuff like that, Lanny. Uh, but she said that there was a time where someone, like, someone in the fans tried to stab Tojo because, like, he was that good of a heel that they wanted to stab this man. They wanted to throw acid on this man. They wanted to cut him. She used to look at the TV and say, bite him, rip his eyes out, you know, because that's the passion, but that, but, but the wrestling back then was gritty, and you, we missed that. We missed that. It was as of, real as it could get as far as, and, and you know, we mentioned backstage politics. That was, that was true backstage politics back then. It wasn't running and telling your promoter on this guy and getting slapped on the wrist or getting sent down the road. You'd get, you'd get hurt. You get killed, you get injured in the ring, and, you know, I just, I don't know, I, I really have been, I've always been fascinated with that that end of things, and uh, to think about watching something that would bring that to life, I'd, I'd be all in on, on that, you know, it, it excites me to think about all the stories that could be told from the, from that time, from that era of debauchery and lies and deceit and like you said showing the real injuries because yeah there's gimmick injuries but there's also the guy that may be selling the ankle but his shoulder is so messed up he's selling the ankle to get it to get the attention off of the fact that his shoulder is about to fall off mm. I mean I've seen it myself you know so there's definitely a, a real grittiness and a real real fun story to be told I think uh, if it's done right, you know, and and that's I'm excited to to see if it can pan out myself. Uh, I have a quick question before I turn it over to you, Brandon. And I'm so sorry, Brandon. I love you, Brandon. Okay, so do you feel that uh, wrestlers should be protected? As far as like, I know this controversial thought, and I know promoters don't like to hear it, but unions are, are like. Should wrestlers have some type of? We already have some type of fraternal order amongst ourselves, whoever's been in the business. But um, but do you feel like there there should be a more protection for workers as far as like 
like a union type of deal? See, that's tricky. See, you know, when it comes to the Indies, things are so touch and go. To have a union involved might might involve a lot of different things that uh, you wouldn't be able to get away with as far as, uh, you know, putting on shows here, there, or using certain guys on certain dates. I personally think it would muck the waters. Uh, but as far as protecting wrestlers, um, it's a hard call, man, because I grew up, whenever I was in it, it was – you kind of had to, to fight tooth and nail. You had to do for yourself or you had a group of guys that watched your back. And, uh, you know, there's certain places I can go all over in this world and and, I'll, and have guys that watch my back because of, of the stuff I was involved in wrestling. But as far as, uh, as you know, unions was never a thing that, that crossed my mind. I never felt like what I was doing wasn't protected, so to speak, because I produced and the guys I ran with produced. Uh, if you do your job, I don't guess you need to be protected in that sense. But uh, there's also a lot of guys that, that would think differently. And that's, you know, I'm, I, I fully respect that and things like that. I just, I was trained by a lot of old school guys. Every guy I was trained, trained by was, was pretty old school. They taught us old school and that's how we think. And that's how I still think to this day. Uh, if you're a good promoter, you'll protect your guys. If not, my suggestion to you is move on down the road and find yourself a promoter that will, because they're out there. But, uh, you know, there are ways to go about doing things and paying your dues. That's the best way to protect yourself. In my opinion, in this business, pay your dues, gain your respect. That's how you get your protection. That's just my opinion though. Brandon. That was good thoughts. Uh, okay. I I'll give you one final thought. One final question. Uh, Aaron kind of stole some questions from me though, but it's all right. That's good. We think alike, Aaron. <laughs> Um, you you seem like you've been a trailblazer in the indies, and you. I wouldn't say you have any regrets, uh, with anything, but I had a final question actually, that I wrote down. Aaron didn't take it. Um, it's kind of like, well, what is the biggest challenge? Since you've since you started, you've retired and everything. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge at the time was? Oh. Uh, like was it going through the physical pains at times was it the mentally mentally tough to you know see other people playing politics uh you not getting pushed the way you thought you should or you know being away from your family was that the toughest part like what was the biggest challenge in going out there every weekend or whatever for you personally for me personally you know Pain was kind of secondary to everything with me. I, I have always been fortunate enough to have a pretty high tolerance for things like that. Uh, but the, the mental, the mental was hard, you know, leaving every week, coming home, leaving. Sometimes I wasn't able to take my wife with me. Sometimes I was, that made it better. But 
you know, seeing a lot of guys around me, uh, it, it's a very destructive business. Um, as far as not just your body and mind, but your relationships, you know, your, the people you come across, you see a lot of death because a lot of guys are real hard on their bodies. Uh, you know, it's no secret that drugs and alcohol are a very popular thing in the circles. And uh, you see a lot of guys go down a lot of, a lot of dark roads, and that's probably the hardest thing. Uh, you know, I've seen guys overdose. I've seen guys uh, getting fights so bad that, uh, you know, they're missing certain parts of their anatomy and body and things like that. And uh, I've seen guys break. I've been there a few times myself on different aspects. But uh, that's really probably the hardest thing is – is being in that environment is so destructive and you do have if you can surround yourself with a good support group that's great i had one guy never left my side the entire time i mentioned him several times uh william hightower he he stayed by my side the whole time and uh thank god for that because who knows where we where we could have ended up there's been times we've had to call each other to get each other out of jams. Hey, this guy wants to suplex me off the top rope to the outside, and he's hopped up on God knows what. You got to come here and help. We've done it. But there's also times we ran around like packs of wild dogs and been in bar fights and, and hurt people and things like that. And I'm not that I'm proud of it, but there's, there's people in my life that I've hurt and on purpose or in the heat of the moment or in self-defense, whatever the case may be that I'm, I got to live with that. That's my ghosts and my demons. And there's other demons and ghosts that, that we have to live with as wrestlers or, or not just wrestlers, but entertainers or anybody in that lifestyle. Being on the road is not easy. Uh, being away from your family is not easy. And, and uh, you make, decisions based on that uneasiness and then you end up in turn having to live with those decisions you know I was never unfaithful or anything to my wife I, but I was a very violent person and uh, I've calmed down a lot my kids when they were born of course that saved my life uh, I changed my entire narrative I was told come off the road stop the bull crap get your head together. And that's what I did. Some guys, it ain't that easy. I, I don't, I don't know why I can look in my kid's face and I can, I can tell you that's the easiest decision I ever made, but it, it's the destruction. That's the hardest part is watching it, being a part of it and knowing that you've caused some of it in your life. Yeah. Amen. Brandon, you can close with that, bro. Well, Joseph, I thank you for joining us on our 90th episode. Uh, really did appreciate it. Uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun. A lot of uh, informative things you told us. Uh, Aaron left, I guess. No, I'm still here. I'm still here. Oh, okay. I'm still here. I had a blast, fellas. I, I, I had a real good time, man. 
I really appreciate you guys having me on. It's a pleasure just to just to meet somebody else that's uh, been in the business, uh, but you know, done more than I've ever could even dreamed of. And it's just a uh, and seemed like a really humble guy. And it's a uh, it's a pleasure just to just to you know kick it with you and uh, hear your stories. Well, I appreciate that. I, I had I had a real good time, man, and I hope uh, maybe going forward and get to know you a little bit better on, and maybe we can share some more stories down the road, man. Um, no doubt, no doubt. Well, um, so I guess I'll close it out. Uh, thank you again for joining us. It, seriously, it was it was our pleasure to get your story out there. Uh, hopefully, it helps people that are getting into the business and don't take some of those roads that they don't have to. Uh, but yeah, th thank you. Uh, and uh, stay tuned for next week. Uh, I, I think we got Joe uh, Castro. Ca yeah, Castro. Uh, he's going to be interviewing. We're going to interview him. Yeah, I'm nervous. It happens. I, I think, tell you what, though, that story got to me, man. That story got to me. It uh, hit me hard, man. Really did. Uh, so I'm a little nervous about it. <laughs> But I, I, I thank you for joining us, though, man. I know I've said it three times in a row, <laughs> but I really do. I really appreciate it. My, my pleasure. Absolutely, man. Um, so, so, like I said, thank you. <laughs> All right, but, let, me, uh, let me help Brandon out here. You need to help me out. <laughs> he's spinning. He's spinning. All right, Aaron Whitlow. Brandon Spivey. And we are the Mark Out Movie Podcasters. We thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And uh and Joseph, is there any place you want them to kind of uh find you if they want to hear a little bit more about your story? Do they need to go anywhere to locate you? Uh, just Facebook's all I know. <laughs> I don't do a whole lot of social media and stuff. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, things like that, you know. Uh Joseph Monk. It works for us. Well, we thank you for coming and uh and I don't know if this is wrestling with the marks. It felt like it. It's great. <laughs> we thank you for uh, listening. And Brandon is looking for the button to stop the recording. <laughs> I don't know if you ever found it, but okay. I thank I you, Joseph. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. All right, it's. I know, Brandon. You just got rid of Joseph. Still recording. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Stop recording, Brandon. <laughs>